Greetings program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 30, smashing through the half-hour mark. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my gregarious, articulate, and let's face it, dashing guest co-host, Chris LaSalle. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, sir. I am, uh, my ego has been uh, pumped this week from all of your introductions, so thank you for uh, working on my self-esteem. Oh, you're very, very welcome. All right, so what happens in this minute? Uh, Flynn takes his seat at the terminal, and Dr. Laura Baines leaves. The MCP is on to Flynn and starts to exercise his plan to defend himself from Flynn's attacks. Ooh, yes, let's talk about this plan. This Actually, plan. But can I can I just ask though, Duncan? Uh, you introduced the movie as Disney's Tron. Yeah. Is that really necessary in this day and age to introduce any movie as Disney something? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Aren't they all. <laughs> please go watch it on Disney Plus, available now. You know, like it's uh, yeah. This if they've got the market cornered on nostalgia, that's for sure. Oh, oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I I definitely jumped on the Disney Plus bandwagon, and uh, it was like a kid in a candy store scrolling through all of the options that I'm going to be able to go back and and watch ret- retroactively. Yeah, and I did use it to uh, do my homework for yeah. the show. <laughs> I watched <laughs> watched Tron on Disney Plus, and man, it looks good. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Uh, Al, very excited. Was Alan J. Sanders on the um, the movie by minute? Uh, minute makers page on facebook he posted a screenshot of the opening credits of tron and was like hey duncan look look what i'm doing now that i got disney plus you know (laughs) oh yeah there you go good stuff yeah good stuff and actually i i'm excited too because i um uh i had started watching the tron uprising uh series what a good series that was they did some amazing things it was i i was like i loved it but i i for wherever it was broadcast originally, uh, it was like X, Disney XD or yeah. something like that. I lost, I lost whatever access to to the show, so I never got to finish uh, watching it. So it, it's on Disney Plus now. So I'm going to go back and kind of start from the beginning and rewatch because yeah, I, that was it was heading in the right direction for me. It was fantastic. Yeah, I'm sorry that it got um, that it got canceled. I hope they bring it back. They might now. They're gonna. They're gonna have all sorts of good data, right? Who's how many people are watching what, and who's a fan of what, and yeah. Um, and they need. They just. Dude. They need to generate content because right now they've got the Mandalorian and some upcoming Marvel shows. But other than that, in terms of current stuff beside their library, mm. they don't have much. So anyway, but this isn't the Disney Plus minute. We <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Sorry. We'll see what happens. All right. So uh, Flynn sits down at Doctor Laura Baines's terminal and says. Like the man says, no problems, only solutions. And so I looked that up, and that's actually a John Lennon quote. Get out of town. Yeah, it's from uh, it's from the beginning of verse two of his song "Watching the Wheels" off the album uh, "Double Fantasy Stripped Down." I guess one of his solo. The um, the lyrics go like, uh, "People ask me questions, lost in confusion. Well, I tell them there's no problem." only solutions and i haven't heard that Heck yeah yeah i haven't heard that song in a while uh but i was i was i was I, as soon as i as soon as it started playing i'm like oh yeah this song this song that's right that's right well that's an amazing song and i am ashamed that i did not connect the two 
Oh, so uh, okay, you're familiar. You're familiar with that one. Uh, oh yeah, no, that's. I would say that's one of my one of my favorites of Lennon's solo stuff. And uh, um, yeah, I, I I am I hang my head in shame right now. That I <laughs> did not put the two together. Oh, that's okay. Um, so and I love now that there's a linkage between Tron and the Beatles and John Lennon. So that's cool too. Yeah, yeah. I haven't uh, I haven't heard that song. I was yeah. I was raised on the Beatles. My parents were. Um, I mean, that's beside the fact my parents were pretty big hippies. But I had a, a very strong, <laughs> a strong fire hose of the Beatles going through in uh, in our house pretty much at all times. And I, yeah, I remember when he um, yeah I remember when he got shot. That was I was just a kid, but I remember it really shocking the absolute hell out of my parents. That was one of the first big celebrity stalker deaths that i think ever happened and we i think the whole world turned a corner uh when that happened yeah sad but true sad but true big downer a friend of mine's got the um the rolling stone that came out just afterwards and it's filled with just like letters from readers and stuff it's something that you can't read without crying even to this day it's a pretty pretty intense issue oh yeah i bet that's amazing yeah yeah it's worth looking up uh, so Only Solutions is also the name of the Journey song from the soundtrack that was playing in Flynn's arcade in the background. Uh-huh. So yep. it's not a not a bad track, but it was not a hit for Journey. Can I ask you about that, though, yeah. since we I didn't get to talk in those minutes? Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned that I, I was re-watching it um, just ahead of getting ready for the show, and I was waiting for the Journey song in the arcade is it do they cut it out of is it not in like the the releases or is it just it's quiet in the background no it's just i remember it being really prominent it's there in the back i mean i don't know what it's like on the uh on the disney plus action um i assume that it's the same uh but it's the, yeah, it's just playing in the background okay it's all play, right. so it's i'm gonna go back and listen the, for it yeah I was, all through their conversation yeah. Uh, when they're talking about the MCP and, and uh, Flynn's they stole the stuff that I illegally created conversation uh, <laughs> the, uh, okay but it like in as I went over in a previous minute they wanted they wanted to get the police to do the soundtrack for this movie oh for, for the whole thing the whole movie I don't know about the whole movie but definitely for the uh, for parts of it and it's uh, it's Wow, that would have been that would have been amazing. Like especially if they'd done like new new songs just for the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's like because that that I think the year before Ghost in the Machine had just come out, and I was like, mm-hmm. what's a that should have been the that should have been the name of the soundtrack to Tron, you know? Like that's what it. That's what yeah. it's about. That would be a and that'd be a beautiful Easter egg to throw in somewhere in the grid, you know, seeing that album cover hidden somewhere in the grid. Yeah, just those, uh, yeah. just those letters. Yep. Those, what do you call that? A liquid crystal display, or what's that? What's that type of display called? The red. Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm always thinking of the old, old style calculators with the red, the red numbers. But yeah, I think yeah. it's, uh, I think that's liquid crystal. Yeah. Well, liquid crystal, I get the gray and the black, but the the red alphanumeric, maybe. I don't know. I forget what that's what that's called but they yeah the police were on a different label so they got they got in a way they got stuck with journey i know that the uh the guys that were in charge of the movie didn't want them and the sound designer for the film was like forget it and the producer was like no and then people from higher up were like tough they're getting journey we want to sell copies of this soundtrack which yeah you know i'm on board with journey so i have no problem with it yeah but they got it didn't work like 
from all angles I, I think journey felt underappreciated and then they shoehorned it in and then the people that were making the movie didn't want them there and the songs that got put in uh were not classic journey songs and they underperformed so it's kind of like everybody lost <laughs> you know it's, oh. it's it's kind of too bad because <laughs> right. it would have been cool to have you know uh, a more than a feeling type of hit somehow embedded in tron that was original like if they if they had actually won with yeah. their plan and we got some other seminal classic journey powerhouse anthem out of this movie that would have been that would have been pretty cool yeah i mean huey lewis pulled it off right with power of love and all that and the, yeah uh, back to the future films yeah we could have had that i agree what, what could have been what could have been right and it said that in this in this only solutions track that the lead singer steve perry was trying to sing in a more sting-like register a little different and higher than his usual journey power anthem style really wow and you can sort of tell when you listen to it because it's uh it's a little a little higher a little higher than usual but i mean saying he's trying to sing like sting is a bit of a stretch i don't know if uh, i don't know if he's trying to do that well i know what i'm doing right after we finish this minute. <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna go hop on spotify and pull that soundtrack up because i gotta give that a listen because again I, I have only listened to it like through the film right so i don't think i've listened to it uh, i've never listened to the soundtrack just you know with my headphones so yeah it's on my to-do list yeah, uh, Jimmy Cliff also has a song called No Problems, Only Solutions, but that's from 2002, so I imagine that's uh, just a direct Lennon reference. Probably. Dr. Laura Bain says, Okay, remember, this laser's my life's work. Don't spill anything, huh? And then in what I assume is ADR, uh, uh, she adds as she leaves, Have fun, sweetheart. And then Flynn gets, uh, gives his head a shake. And, uh, and gets to work. And then on the screen, it says, request access code 6, password series PS17, reindeer flotilla. Or reindeer flotilla. When I start my band, someday, when I have a band, that is the band name. Reindeer flotilla. What a great combination of words. Well... <laughs> I mean, I was going to save this for later, but there is a band called Reindeer Flotilla. Get out. Oh, my Damn bad. It. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a band named Opposite Day with an album called Reindeer Flotilla. And So would you assume then that that band named, they pulled that title from this? They Mol must have, right? That's not a more than that you are going to love this and this is something that you will also have to go check out when this is over is if you go to youtube their entire album reindeer flotilla was made specifically to sync up to the last hour of tron get out of town yeah really and it's sort of a computery noise jazz fusion with lots of wild sounds like i'll, I'll post a link but you can think that if you when you watch it it'd be pretty wild if this was the soundtrack instead of Wendy Carlos and all of the tracks seem to have like uh different um like anagrams of the scenes and stuff like that so it's uh it's really it's really cool it's really cool to check out I was really astounded to find it I'm like wow and it's pretty it's somewhat recent so I was glad that uh, I'm glad that that's still that this movie's still causing that kind of fandom I mean Geez, a whole album devoted to the last hour of Tron? That's incredible. 
that's brilliant. I'm grinning from ear to ear right now. I cannot <laughs> wait to check that out. Yeah. And I get. Oh, I love I love movies by minutes, man. We get like, yeah. all this cool trivia. Yeah, you get deep into it and you find out this amazing stuff. You know, and then uh, what is it? Which I guess I guess it's also sort of a strange callback to when Alan says uh, this guy's a little like Santa Claus when they were breaking in and Flynn had his magic computer board break yeah. in break in thing. And just uh, as an aside, all of these monitor close up shots of them typing in, uh, they were all done by Triple I. The uh, called Information International Incorporated. There was three. There was four, four big corporations or computer graphics companies that did all the animation for Tron, and they had to be married together. And there was Magi, Robert Abel and Associates, Triple I, and one other that I'm forgetting right now. But they each did a different thing. And Triple I did the Master Control Program, the Solar Sailor, and Sark's Carrier. And uh, they also did all the insert shots of anybody typing into a, typing into a computer monitor. That's why they're all close-ups. Interesting. I, I really, I actually like all of the uh, all the displays where you know the, when people are entering in text or whatever it might be, you, sh- you shouldn't have come back, Flynn. All that stuff. It looks very legit. Yeah. Right. You you know that's the big you know one of those big tropes of science fiction is you know every single movie seems to have their own you know take on a user interface. Yeah. Um, but this one, I mean, this one, this one looks, you know, pretty realistic for the for the for the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, this the things that they type in are always odd to me, but I, <laughs> yeah. I like I like that. I like that it's like I don't know what I don't understand what they're talking about. And yeah. I do have to I do have to laugh that we can read people's passwords as they type them in, but that's uh. You know. Yeah. Um. And the, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I dig the look, and um, uh, I think I mentioned we talked about it briefly was you know war games right there's that's uh all those interactions with with joshua in war games play out very similarly right you know shall we play a game yeah i'm just waiting for that to pop up on one of these screens yeah for sure right and well that's kind of what he uh gosh that's almost exactly what flynn says here no well something like that anyway but uh similar similar to go into triple i just a little bit uh, it was sure. it was interesting. Triple I's commercially was this is just from their from their webpage. Triple I's commercially successful technology was centered around very high precision cathode ray tubes, or CRTs, just the monitors, um, capable of recording to film, and that for a while was the publishing industry's gold standard for digital to film applications. And they also manufactured film scanners using special cameras fitted with photomultiplier tubes as the image sensor. For digitizing existing films and paper documents so i didn't know they were that technical and practical like one such successful product of theirs was the, using their precision crt technology for their fr80 film recorder which was introduced in 1968 and it was capable of recording black and white and later color as an option digital imagery to motion picture or still transparency film at a maximum resolution of 16,384 times 16,384, making it an ideal system for generating either computer output microfilm, computer to film negatives, or making printing plates and other computer generated graphics, which I guess that's the technology they used to blow up the black and white film for this movie before cutting out the glowy parts and backlighting them and adding the computer animation and all that, which is, which is wild, because this film was so technically groundbreaking 
but it also used a lot of filming technique going back to the 20s often often hand in hand which is uh was pretty wild they had a lot of really practical effects in this movie but they also had uh a lot of stuff that was just created for this film and then never used again you know because they as they made this film they figured out better ways to do it as because this was like the sort of test bed for a lot of their stuff and as always right. just like hats off to the art direction to get these three different animation houses coming together and stitching them all together into the movie in a way that i don't think anybody would even know that three different places did all these different things no, yeah, I would completely agree. I was gonna because when you when you mentioned that, you know, as far as who was you know responsible for building what, you know, MCP or Sark's uh, ship, um, that was kind of the first question popped in my head. I'm like, well, all, to me, all of the animation, you know, hangs together, right? Whether it's the tanks, uh, the light cycles, um, that I would I would have said that all comes from one place, and uh, yeah, the fact that they they were able to marry that all together and I mean, MCP's got its own, he's got his own, like, kind of special look. Sure. Like, relative to everything else. Yeah. But, uh, but everything else, I would, I, I would never have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. In, uh, and then for other Reindeer Flotilla references in the movie Ready Player One and in the book uh, Ready Player One, at the end of chapter 33, Parzival's log on passphrase for Og's mansion is Reindeer Flotilla. C-Tech Astronomy, which is a reference to both Tron and 1992's Sneakers. Those nice. Ten years apart. That so Ready Player One could that be more of a love letter to the 80s? Oh, it's just a I complete, mean... a complete <laughs> love just, letter. It, yeah, it's. Uh, and I know some people are just like, oh, I don't get it. I that thing was terrible. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like. It just like I wanted to dive into the book, you know, and just it, it was uh, it was brilliant. Yeah, um, that author so, uh, uh, Ernie Klein, he started out as a slam poet uh, back in Texas, uh, like back in the late '90s, and then he started getting into screen screenwriting and screenplaying, and then he did uh, what's that one? Fanboys did that movie Fanboys? Oh, yeah, he yeah. A group yeah. trying to sneak into the Skywalker Mansion, and then he did this ready player one so it's been great seeing him go from like to sort of success to success because i just i came across his stuff such a long time ago and then uh and then i got into slam poetry like six years later and then and then he uh and then he's you know doing all this great stuff and i'm sort of like oh right on good for him very cool yeah i didn't know that that's cool yeah you should look up you should, if you look up ernie klein slam poetry you'll find some old poetry of his he does a, a poem about airwolf which is just outstanding. Uh, he does, yeah, he does a poem about doing some like nerd pornography and uh, just all this, all this really, all these different, all these different things that are really, really quite, quite funny and delivered, uh, delivered wonderfully. So yeah, my check to do that out list too. is getting longer. And longer <laughs> yeah, that's, talking to you, that's so, three. Yeah. That's three things there. Uh, now I haven't seen sneakers. Have you seen sneakers? Uh, I think I saw it in the theater. Oh, um, really? Wow. But that would have been forever ago, right? Um, and uh, sadly, I don't think I could tell you anything about it. <laughs> well, from the, from the, let's see what we got here. From the Ready Player One fandom page, it reads that Sneakers follows the exploits of Martin Bishop, Robert Redford, and his group of friends and co-workers, a white hat security team who perform penetration testing on willing clients. 
The team is approached by members of the NSA who contract them to retrieve a black box from a company named SeaTech Astronomy. After successfully getting the box, the team is relaxing and celebrating. At the same time that Whistler, a blind phone freaker based on elements of Captain Crunch and another man called Joy Bubbles, discovers that the box is capable of breaking any computer encryption. And that's when Bishop realizes that SeaTech Astronomy is an anagram for too many secrets. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then while working this out, he also happens that it's also an anagram for Cuties Rat Seaman and Monterey's Coast. And discarded those those both uh, those both quickly. I'm sure, there's lots of fun you can have with with anagrams, but that's uh, that's an aside. But that's something that, another reference to to Reindeer Flotilla. And then there's the, the the opposite day band that has those that music. I can't wait to to, 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 to I hope you, let me know what your reaction is to seeing the the opposite days um, album. Absolutely, alternate soundtrack. <laughs> and so the MP, MCP is on to Flynn. And the words come up, you shouldn't have come back, Flynn, in time with the MCP actually speaking. So I guess there's speakers all over the facility, or maybe that's just the computer speaker there. And er like, there was an earlier co-host that had always wondered if the voice of the MCP was diegetic or non-diegetic. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was like, were the words coming up? Yeah. And then were they just being narrated so that we would understand or that the like, people in the audience who maybe couldn't read would be able to understand or something like that. But, but there's a scene in the previous, uh, one of the previous minutes where Dillinger actually turns around when the MCP says something, Dillinger's like, what? You know, like he's not looking at the screen. So. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've always, I've always uh, assumed that it's, everybody can hear him. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I was kind of surprised to hear that opinion. Uh, but but I can I can sort of understand it, right? So, so this exchange, I, I I mean I love the I love the line. I mean one the MCP's voice is amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but this quick exchange right here, you shouldn't have come back, Flynn. And then Flynn's response of Hey, it's the big MCP everybody's been talking about. Uh, it confuses me a little bit because uh, one, it seems like MCP knows Flynn from before. When right. he was at, you know, when Flynn was working for Encom, uh, or that's what it seems to imply to me. But then it also Flynn seems like it's the first time he's meeting MCP. Uh, oh, I don't know. So I get, so I get a little. So, so, they have history, right? They, they would they have known each other, known each other. Now I sound like they're both people, but uh, would they have, would MCP have been around at the same time Flynn was around at Encom? That's a really good question. I I had assumed. I guess I never really thought about it. I had, I guess, but thinking about it now, I assume that Flynn got fired before the MCP came online. That's what I think. I think what Flynn did by making video games off of company time but on company equipment is the sort of thing that the MCP would have been created to police and stop from happening. So I think, I would think that Dillinger saw what Flynn was doing stole Flynn's stuff, fired Flynn, and then made the MCP to stop something like that from ever happening again. Uh, okay, that I'll, I'll buy that. That, that seems that, like a good a natural my, progression. My, uh, yep. my guess at the timeline. So I would think that Flynn is like colloquially aware of the MCP because he's been told about it by ex-employees or uh, you know, while he was seeing Dr. Laura Baines here or 
from talking to Alan there during their earlier conversation. I think he's aware of the MCP, but um, I think this might be the first time that he's quote unquote met him in the flesh kind of thing. Right. So yeah, so he says, hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about, which is so sassy. He really has no fear of computers. But Dillinger didn't either, so I don't know. There's a real there's a real hubris being displayed in this movie of people going, ah, computers. They're our servants, and then getting beat down. So I <laughs> getting theirs. Getting theirs. So this yeah. is kinda like yeah, Flynn comes up to get some pretty serious competition here. And then the MCP says, sit right there, make yourself comfortable, which, if I was Flynn, would have made me tuck and roll and dive out of my chair, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a huge red flag, right? Even if, you know, you were seeing this movie the first time, yeah, yeah wait, run. It's yeah, when run. the bad guy's like, <laughs> you stay right there. You're like, duck, roll, get out of here, run, sprint, <laughs> or at least look around. You know, like, and maybe see the giant laser pointing right at his back. You know, like, that's a, that's I, a, I do, is a real, that's a real, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's just, uh, I, this, the, the first shot we get here in this minute of, of Flynn's back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was pretty excited to, when I, when I, when I got, when you, when I got the minutes, uh, and I was like, Ooh, what, you know, what, what scene is this? And, uh, I was happy to see that we, we, to me, it's a bit. Uh, I don't know. It's it's not necessarily iconic, but for me, it's you know, it's there's something the, about it. It's, it's foreboding, right? You know, yeah. it's about to happen. Yeah. And yeah, and again, it's that same kind of. It's the same. The shot we had up above the desk, right? Looking down and seeing all the stuff going on inside the the uh, uh, the plant. I forget what it was called. Uh, the Lawrence. But now we're seeing. Yeah. The yeah the and now we're seeing the other another view of it. You know, like. It goes on endlessly, it looks like, into the background. Um, and, you know, he's just so vulnerable in this position. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great shot. He's perfectly centered, you know, and really looks <laughs> yep. like he's he's being targeted. And that's, uh, that's something. And then he says, what does he say? Oh, the MCP continues. Remember the time we used to spend playing chess together? Which is the I sorry that's that's sort of the MCP saying would you like to play a game rather than Flynn saying would you like to play a game. Thank you. I scribbled all over this one. I'm like, oh, that's the Whopper. That's Joshua. That's Professor Fal- uh, uh, Falcon. Was it Falcon from uh yeah from from War Games? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So my, help me with my memory okay. of of MCP. All right. Is don't we learn don't we learn later? that he was a chess program to start with or was he something didn't he start out as something small there and got is bigger? there's a there's a line later where i forget if oh no did that already happen someone mentions i remember when you were when i think oh, it might have been in the previous minute when uh he's talking to dr walter gibbs and he says you know i can still remember when the mcp was just a chess program or something like that but it's kind of it's uh, it's kind of confusing because when the MCP is defeated at the end, you know, spoiler spoiler alert, um, <laughs> the face, the true face of the MCP, is this mm-hmm. super old guy, and it's not Dillinger, but Dillinger says during a, a number of times he says, you know, I created you, you know, I wrote you, 
you know, in the in the scenes before this, he's like, "I wrote you. You do what I say." Before the MCP right. is like, "Nah, buddy, you're you're toast." And um, so I'm really confused about that aspect of it because every single other program looks exactly like their user. Uh, so. Right, but we. I, I wonder if they did that because of Sark. Right, Sark looks like Dillinger's. You know, maybe they that was their now, answer to it. They can't. Or... Yeah, they can't have. Sure, they couldn't have David Warner play two, two people. That's a really good point. That's a really um, good. I point. wonder if. Yeah, I will. I I'm looking forward to the, uh, the your whole season, right? To, uh, to to get some of these answers because I do have some of those questions at, at, towards the end. Um, and I never read the novelization, so I wonder. I'm also curious, and I know we can't talk about those future minutes. Uh, but I'll be curious if there's some answers in there uh, to some of these questions. So, yeah, like I'm um, I'm going through the book as I go through the minutes, just because that's still all the time I have. So I'm kind of discovering the book minute by minute. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's based on the screenplay, so the the. All the spoken dialogue is pretty much exactly the same, but it's the inner monologues that, that are gifting everybody with reasons and a past, and that's been the real exciting part in reading the novelization. And Brian Daly went on to do a bunch of really good Star Wars novels and stuff like that, so he's a good, he's not just some hack author, he's a, he's a good author. Now, he was he didn't do uh he didn't do Splinter of the Mind's Eye, did he? Oh uh that was that was Alan Dean Foster, maybe? I think that was Alan Dean Foster, yeah. Yeah. That right. was a good one. We don't have to go down that road. All right, we'll, no, that's we'll that's a whole other, other show. A whole other show. Uh okay, now I want to talk a little about chess programs. Sure. Chess programs capable of playing chess or reduced chess like games were ran on digital computers in the vacuum tube era in the nineteen fifties. They were simple and easily beat. And then in 1968, international master David Levy made the famous bet that no chess computer would be able to beat him within 10 years. And then, indeed, in 1976, senior master and professor of psychology, Elliot Hurst of Indiana University, wrote that the only way a current computer program could ever win a single game against a master player would be for the master, perhaps in a drunken stupor while playing 50 games simultaneously to commit some once-in-a-year blunder. But that year, Northwestern University's Chess 4.5 program at the Paul Mason American Chess Championships Class B level became the first to win a human tournament. So, And then David Levy won his bet by beating Chess 4.7 in 1978. But that did win one of the six games against another master class player. Then in 1980, the computer program Bell began often defeating masters. And then in 1982, two programs played at the master level, and then three were slightly weaker. And then in 1989, Levy was defeated by the new Deep Thought chess computer, which I guess is uh, named after the computer in... The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Wasn't that computer called Deep Thought? Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, I think it was the one they built to actually answer to, to what is the answer to life, the yeah. universe, and everything. And then it needs to <laughs> give them instructions to the computer that can actually give them the question. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then what well, I thought that? the I thought that was Deep Blue, but well, uh, Deep Blue came maybe. later. Deep Blue came, came later. later. Okay. Yeah. So it was like 
uh, world champion Gary Kasparov defeated Deep Thought twice in 1989 in decisive victories, but he lost to IBM's Deep Blue in 1996 when he lost Game 1, and it was the first time a reigning world champion had been defeated by a computer using regular time controls, which I guess is that box beside the chess game that you you make your move right. and slap the clock and make your move and slap the clock, and that's the yep. slap the clock, my mistake there. But the, uh, the uh, yeah, it's when, I think I think when you slap the clock, like I think if you, I'm not entirely sure. Clock, right? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure if you both have the same amount of time to start. Yeah, I, I never understood that aspect of it. I'm like, is it just a race? Like you're trying to see who can make moves faster? And I kind yeah, because I kind of thought it, if I, I thought you had like the same amount of time. Like, if I made my move in two seconds, then you had to make your move in two seconds. I thought that was oh. it. But I don't think that's the... I don't think that's quite the... Quite the... Quite the, the one of it. That, I remember, sounds like, that sounds like hardcore chess. That's, there is speed chess, and I imagine that's probably what that is. But there was one, I remember... There's one famous game where a couple of guys are playing, and... Uh, one guy is just sitting there looking at the board while the clock's going and the announcers are losing their mind the announcers are like what it's been it's been 10 seconds it's been <laughs> it's been 15 seconds it's been 20 seconds what, what what is he doing like they're just they're just losing it they're like what is what is he thinking and then but then he uh he sees through time and he defeats the other guy in like four moves and so it's it's uh it's pretty cool that's fun uh, but then in, it's in, funny. It, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, just you know the the deep blue uh, versus Kasparov. I think you said that was in 1996. I my whole like timeline of this stuff is blown because I would have sworn that all that happened in like the 70s. Uh, so I had that's that's well relatively recent, the 90s. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, I thought that's a uh, that's not that long ago. Do you play chess at all? Uh, I know how to play chess. I am uh, in no way. Uh, I have no skills. I, <laughs> I know the mechanics of. You know, what I mean, I know the mechanics of chess. I do not have any chess strategy skills. Um, but it's a cool game. Yeah, it's a pretty. It's a pretty fun game. I get the. I get the obsession with it because it's just an infinite number of, of combinations. So uh, Flynn types in code series LSU one two three activate, and I couldn't find anything on this one. Did you find <laughs> anything on on what that might mean? I, I did not, and I like I said, I think most of the things that they type in is just uh, uh, wonderfully nonsensical, right? It's it. I, I buy it, right? It's it's a uh, like okay, yeah, that's probably some obscure, you know, pro, you know, programming language or sequence codes that they use here at ncom and um and uh, I, you know, like i said i like I, I i like um interfaces like that where they're mysterious enough but they're still uh, uh i can buy it i can buy into it yeah um but no i don't i have no idea what that means okay yeah but it, it, i mean it has its intended effects the mcp starts to panic saying this isn't going to do you any good flynn i'm afraid stop please and it's a little it's a little freaky to hear the mcp say please you know yeah so it it does make you wonder then what what lsu one two three activate does because flynn is smirking during this 
Yeah. Uh, so I feel like he knows that it's having the intended effect of it's hurting MCP or it's, uh, or really that's all I can think of. Not that it would be like if he was like uh, working around MCP's defenses, I think he would be, MCP would be more angry at whatever he's doing, but it sounds like it's having a, a negative effect on MCP altogether. And that's where you get this, you know, pleading in his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only, the other note I had was, is, is this a fake out? Is the MCP pretending to be scared? Cause he's trying to, <laughs> uh, he's starting to warm things up. I wonder, I wonder, like I was thinking that it was more like uh, just another level to the MCP. Like it's pretending it being a big, strong program, but deep down it still has fear. Like it's not a complete robot. Kind of like in the beginning when he says, oh, was Flynn nosing around? And the MCP says, it felt like Flynn. And like, what do, you, what do you mean it felt like Flynn? You know, like who, yeah. I guess you are an AI, but then so there's layers to the MCP. And so, but I like your yeah, idea that maybe he's like, intuition. he's like, oh my gosh, whatever you do, don't sit right there in your chair and keep programming. That would be the worst thing <laughs> you could do. Like, yeah, maybe he's, uh, maybe he's faking him out. Yeah, I think it's a fake out. Um, I like that take uh, on it. Yeah. And we get some more sweet Wendy Carlos music uh, called Break In, and that starts up again. And the MCP says, you realize I can't allow this. And then Flynn says, now how are you going to run the universe if you can't even answer a few unsolvable problems, huh? Come on, big fella, let's see what you got. And the laser behind him starts to warm up as the MCP responds, but that gets cut off by the end of the minute. So there we have red flag number two. Red flag number two, right? yeah. You realize I can't allow this. Yeah. So that's an that's another one. Yeah. And and I think also this next line of Flynn's is tells us maybe what um, LSU one two three does. Yeah. Um, how are you going to run the universe? Can't solve a few unsolvable problems. And I'm going to go back to Star Trek again. Excellent. Because uh, you know that's I have to. Right? It's contractually I have to mention <laughs> Star Trek. That's right. That's right. Uh, um. Uh, there's a great uh, logic puzzle uh, that gets thrown out in um, in the original series by Kirk uh, when he's trying to uh, essentially defeat uh, Mud's androids. Right. And he just he just speaks to one of the androids and says, "I always lie." And what that does to the android is it's a you know it's a paradox, right? If I always lie, that means what I just said was not true. Yeah. Uh, but it must be true because you said I always lie and it just sets off this paradox and it you know, ends up, I think, popping the android's head or something like. Uh, so I wonder if if that's what Flynn is doing at this moment. He's trying to distract the MCP by throwing out these paradoxes and yeah. trying to see if the MCP can figure them out. Yeah, he's trying um, to give him some divide by zero error or whatever so that he can just like <laughs> right. yep. get tied up um, while, he, while, he forges the, uh, while he forges it all. So that's what I think he's up to. Logic bombs. Yeah, logic bombs. And I think that's a great, that's sort of one of the only ways I can think of really to take down a computer. And one of the ways in which, I mean, like Flynn's got a point, like this universe has so many variables and mysteries and unsolvable questions and paradoxes. And I imagine that most AI are just going to go nuts just trying to live day by day without some seriously amazing programming to keep them stable. You know, because that's, that's what the right. the world is so filled with that kind of thing and not just in mathematics but just in regular life it's i guess it's what you'd call fuzzy in terms of its 
you know, clear paths, you know, and like, sure. Even well, the, that's, that's when you, that's when you start getting into like, you know, uh, religion and faith. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, all right, I don't know how the hell this works, but I just know it does. Yeah. I, like I have, I have faith that it works. We need, we uh, need an, over, an AI yeah. is not necessarily going to be able to handle that. We need an overlay to make sense of the input that's coming into us. Right. And that's where your, your belief systems come in and like this works. And this, you must, you must have faith that it works because, you know, that's, I mean, that's a, even, even with science, like people sort of take to science as if it were a religion because they're like this, this works, this makes sense of the universe, you know, and it I put, puts everything in its, in the columns and boxes that you need it to. Yeah. Yep. I always, always of, of the belief that art, science, and religion are all trying to point towards the same door. You know, they're all trying to like make sense of the universe from three totally different angles but they're all got the same goal of like let's let's make this make sense let's translate this into something that that we can understand you know i love how deep we are getting right now. yeah well that's this that's this movie like that's what i like about doing this movie by minute it's like you probably you know i don't know if you could do this with a bunch of other movies but it's there like the basis the deep the deep philosophical meat if you will um is here like it's in the movie you know it's all about creations taking over it's all about technology there's some super current stuff and some ancient philosophy that are all married together into this movie and i think that's where the real power of it and the staying power of it lies it's not just the flashy visuals which are incredible but i think that the actual heart of it the themes of it are timeless and will be if you watch this movie 50 years from now you'll be like oh yeah yeah i get it i don't think i mean it'll, yeah, it'll look dated it production wise. it holds but. up yeah it's, it's holding up so far i agree yeah so it's like uh to bring it back to Ferris Bueller's for a second, it's like uh, Sloan, like most, like the thing about an AI having trouble dealing with this world is it occurred to me that most of us have trouble dealing with this world. Like, like, <laughs> like most of us can't do it. And it's like Sloan says in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I freak out real easy too sometimes, you know, sooner or later we all go to the zoo. And, you know, I think we all take our turns losing it because life's really intense and uh there's just a lot of input coming at you for your entire life and if it's overwhelming for our quantum level meat processors then i can't imagine uh, what it would be like for an ai trying to navigate social situations you know that's what i really like that ex machina movie i thought that was a really good representation of what that might look like again you keep hitting my to-do list that's all my today. I haven't seen that one either. Oh, it's also, you're oh, you're in for such a treat. Okay, I'm glad. I've, I'm glad. Only heard I'm... good. Only heard good stuff. So I know. I know I'm going to. It's just like, uh, is it on Disney Disney Plus? Do they own that one? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> uh, to go back to the filming a little bit, the creators in the commentary said that they were thinking of doing the real world in 35 millimeter, and then the grid in 65 millimeter, which would have been pretty cool. But then they made very cool. kind of like I guess with uh, with the Wizard of Oz, which has a similar, a very similar theme, or a, a similar sort of feel to this. A person whisked away to another magical land. But I think in, because it went from black and white to color, 
I think they mm -hmm. went from black and white 35 miller, felt 35 millimeter to color 65 millimeter in uh, in the Wizard of Oz, if I'm not mistaken. So that would have been kind of neat to do here, but I'm kind of glad that they didn't as well. Yeah, in some way you think it's really it's not necessary. I mean, the 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 world of the grid is so unique and and uh, you know has its own has its own you know uh, language and feel and. Um, you you don't need to it's it you are in an, another world and it's you know, there's no you know there's no it, it would have been um and now i'm not even sure if, if this is a well-formed thought it would be it would be would it have worked if you had something like uh you know tron uh you know present here next to the laser like you know seeing tron and his glowing suit and everything like would, would that be too much of a clash of of styles right would it would it would it work if you saw him in the real world yeah um and uh yeah no i don't think you need i don't think uh, i don't think they need to do it i think the i think the i think the look that look is amazing it's it's just uh, it's so crisp like uh the the sort of chopped version i have on my computer and that i send out is it's pretty good quality, but then I'm watching the Blu-ray downstairs, and it's so—it's just amazing. The fidelity, it's and amazing. the beauty of yeah. it is just so crisp. They hadn't at the time they hadn't uh, filmed an entire film in 65 millimeter since Ryan's Daughter with Robert Mitchum in 1970. Hmm. So this was a big deal, and I just—it just really hammers home the fact that they really went all in on this movie. Like it really, it must have broke their hearts when it underperformed because they had something special on their hands. They thought it was a surefire blockbuster. The people that were putting it out thought it was amazing. The young people that had sort of come up and struggled to get it made thought it was amazing. And so when they when they came out, they were like, "Here you go, world, pow!" And then, but that 1982 summer was was ridiculous, and the movie was high concept at a time when computers weren't plentiful. Like. I don't know. What do you think? Why, why do you think Tron might have underperformed? Do you think it was the concept or the subject matter or just uh, the timing of... I would, yeah, I would say it was the subject matter. Um, I think it's, you know, you know, at the time, right? This is probably before, you know, personal computers were really even showing up in, in people's homes. Yeah. Um, and so having this abstract of, of what do, you know, what is going on inside these computers i think it's so probably at the time so foreign um it's fun to think about you know now like oh i'm sitting next to my my laptop here and uh what could be happening inside of it uh, yeah um but uh, uh yeah I, it's it, it's also hard for me to say too because for me seeing it as an 11 year old i thought it was amazing i was blown away it was yeah. it was you know everything i everything i think they wanted it to be uh, but I don't think my parents were, you know, really into it. And, you know, they probably just saw this some kind of weird, you know, cartoon mixed in here, and uh, you know, which you can see how you know, some of the animation and uh, even the look of the, the of the programs in the grid, you know, they've so stylized. Um, but I don't know. I I I don't, I don't I I really don't know why. I think the competition, right? There was so many amazing yeah. films out. Um, I don't know what the marketing was like for Tron. That could have been part of it too. Yeah. Um, do you think? Do you think that? I, I wonder because it became a cult classic, right? I mean, yeah. It definitely. Um, you, know, you wonder is does that make up for those all those people that went into making it, and just what you were saying, you know, and, and uh, 
thinking it's going to be a huge hit you know do they you know years later you know when they realize it's a cult classic are they are they uh uh, relieved or you know i told you so or you know happy that it became i think there's, there's that a, it came into its own later there's an element of vindication i think definitely to hear steven list there's a really good to hear steven listberger the director talk about it and to see the people like cindy morgan and bruce boxleitner will show up at fan conventions and they still they're still out and about signing stuff and they still you know really enjoy cool. that they were a part of this and uh I guess fingers crossed I might be able to get them onto the podcast. That would be something incredible. I don't know if I could ever get Chip Bridges, that would, but that would be amazing. That would be amazing, but I think that's <laughs> pie in the sky. But uh what is it? Uh I think that they yeah, they do feel this on the on the Blu ray, the two disc Blu ray that I got, there's a short featurette of Steven Lisberger taking his son to the vaults of Disney and showing him all the sketches and preliminary designs and behind the scenes snapshots that are still in folders in a box in the Disney vaults and he's going through them all with his son saying you know this is kind of the stuff that that I was doing when I was doing Tron and this was I think in the lead up to the release of Legacy so showing this bridge between father and son between the last generation and this generation uh, nice. looking over the, the, the building blocks of what the movie eventually became so I think that he is still pretty happy with the way things have eventually turned out. He knows that culturally it was a, a strike at the gong that I think, I mean, in a good way, that people, it resonated. It still really resonated. There's a lot of people that were affected by this movie so much so that they got into programming or affected by this movie so much so that they got into visual effects. If you talk about people's, like I saw this documentary called Scratch, and it was about turntablists. And they were all asked, like, when did you come up with the idea to become a, a turntablist DJ? And almost all of them were like, I think it was the first time I heard Rocket by Herbie Hancock. <laughs> like, every single yep. one of them. Like, that one song showed everybody what you can do with a turntable. And it was like this movie, in much the same way that a lot of astronauts, when you ask them, why did you want to become an astronaut? They're like, well, ever since I was a kid and I was watching Star Trek, I wanted to become an astronaut. You know, like in much the same way that Star Trek inspired so much love and fandom and changed lives, I think that the Tron Tron did so as well. So, yeah, I would I would I would totally agree with that. I think, uh, yeah, whether you're a programmer or, uh, I mean, even I'm sure, you know, seeing the the animation that this movie has in it, the computer animation probably inspired, you know, uh, filmmakers, right? Like, yeah. Oh, I look what, it, look what we can do. It's a, t a totally different medium, um, on film. Uh, I didn't know you could do that. You know, I'd like to do that when I grow up, you know, so I could see that inspiring those folks as well. Yeah. Like, look what's possible. Look what we can do. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I better get in on this train. Like, I know that's one of the reasons why I got into computer animation is that these days or back when i started in the 90s the interface had gotten to a point where i could use it without being a programmer you know and i was like oh my gosh i can do this you know so like and then seeing it on screen i'm sure a lot of a lot of people felt the same way well all right so uh in the novel and the screenplay and novel differences in the novel flynn's blinding confidence and swagger is pumped up as he's thinking come on out and fight 
as the as the laser swings over to target on him which is better than having it being bolted to the floor right behind him so in the novel the laser is tucked away somewhere and it swings out to target on him the that laser by the way is a real laser and it's named shiva nice an actual that, actual laser yeah um, i'm glad it doesn't swing out that doesn't invoke uh that doesn't invoke anything good for me that just uh, that that wouldn't have looked natural yeah i think you know when anytime you kind of see you know a, a gun swinging out from a ship or tan, i don't know it never seems to work it looks it never looks like it's that's what it's supposed to do yeah um so i think having the i think having it mounted here and you know warming up in the next you know couple of minutes uh is perfect you know they just in in having it it's straight at his back it's all uh, <laughs> the, the tension's already revving up right so yeah um, i would not i would not change the scene and then in the screenplay there's another shot of a security camera watching flynn like the mcp has eyes everywhere in the building and instead of swinging over to target him we see that one entire wall of the lab is a sliding door and it rises silently behind him revealing the laser behind it i could that, that would work i could that would that would work yeah those are both um, uh, those are both solutions that i could that i could see working but they wouldn't work with the existing set i imagine so they just settled for it as is yeah yeah and in some ways you know looking at the laser in the in this minute you know just it's it's almost lost in all of the equipment that's yeah. visible there, right? I suppose you it's not, just you almost, like, it's camouflaged in a way. It's just a bunch of um, a bunch of wires and junk in there behind him. Like yeah, it might not yeah. look like it doesn't look that's like a, a sniper rifle or something like that. It's just yeah, who knows yeah. what that does? Well, I guess that takes us up to the end of the minute. What do you think? Uh, it does indeed. I uh, we, we we hit it on all my notes, so uh, I, I I'm out. All right, this is a long one. Excellent. All right, well, uh, uh, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, I, I, I uh, appreciate uh, spending the time and talking about this. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to the show when it hits the air because uh, there's uh, some great there's some great scenes and, and minutes. Uh, uh, so looking forward to hearing it all. Yeah, it's been great talking to you about it. And uh, if we can get we can get dave on board i'd love to have you back for another minute maybe when they're actually inside the uh inside the mainframe there uh that would be amazing yeah we'd love to love to be back all right cool so uh i guess tell us where can people find you if they want to hear more of you one last time yeah you can find us uh dave stoker and i we are uh, uh part of the star trek minute uh, going through all the Star Trek films uh, uh, one at a time. We started with Wrath of Khan. We're currently doing uh, the Voyage Home. We're getting near the end of the Voyage Home. Um, but uh, you can find us online at StarTrekMinute.com or on social medias at Star Trek Minute. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love for you to check us out. Excellent. And if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at TronologicallySpeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at TronologicallySpeaking. Send us an email at TronologicallySpeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking minute-by-minute listeners page. We'd love to hear from you and hear your insights and hear your reflections on the minutes as they're coming out. Uh, shout out to Pond5 for the music and special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminute.com and see if your favorite movie is there. And if it isn't, consider doing one yourself. 
it's a very inclusive and encouraging community and i highly recommend the experiment if, if uh sorry the experience and the experiment if you if you feel like doing something like that do you want to try Great. a little end of line on three will do all right let's see if we can go three for three with this one one two three end of line oh perfect <laughs>